Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to be here with you today. Over the last nine weeks, we've been in the middle of a series titled Vital Signs. And each week, we've unpacked one of the Ten Commandments. We've been studying the Ten Commandments because we consider them important to being faithful followers of Jesus and vital signs for determining how our walk with him is going. By exploring the commandments, we hope to better recognize whether we're being influenced by the ever-changing influences of the world or God's word. We deal with being influenced by our surrounding culture even at a very young age, don't we? As a parent of younger children, I've already witnessed the power of Cocoa Melon, Paw Patrol, PJ Mask, Gabby's Dollhouse, Star Wars, and of course the superhero genre. Did anyone here ever have a movie, a TV show, or maybe for some of us, a radio program that came out when you were a kid that you were obsessed with in a borderline unhealthy way? You loved it. Raise your hand if you had one of those in your life, something that you just loved to listen to, watch. Um, Okay, go ahead and put your hands down. In 1995, at the ripe age of seven years old, a movie called Batman Forever came out. And I was crazy about this movie. I had posters of the characters up in my room. I had dozens of action figures just sprawled out around my room floor. I even had a remote control Batmobile that would help Batman get from the foot of my bed to the kitchen to get a couple snacks. I even had the the commemorative McDonald's mugs. I don't know if any of you remember those or have seen them in thrift stores. They're amazing. And it was such a big deal to me that I still have a number of those things today. And I don't let my kids touch them. No, I'm just kidding. No, they can play with them now. It's okay. They did break one of the mugs and that that was a little bit of a heartbreak for me. But, um, But there was one item from this movie that I did never, that I never got. It was the creme de la creme of movie merchandise. It was the Batcave. Look at that thing. It was humongous. It was so cool. It had so many play features, and it took up like a quarter of your bedroom. It was huge. But it also costed about a gajillion dollars. So I didn't get one because my dad's a pastor. I had the imagination. Here's the thing, I wanted it so bad, but you know what made it even worse? My best friend got it for Christmas. So that meant that every single time I went over to play with my friend, I was reminded of the life that I didn't have. I was reminded that I would truly never know what it felt like to live life to the fullest. When I went over to play, I was like a moth to a flame with that toy. But the more I played with it, the more I wished it was mine. The more I wished I had what belonged to him. I jokingly reflect on my desire to have my friend's amazing bat cave. But in reality, as grown adults, we still struggle with the desire to have what others have. And when we do so, we break a vital and the final commandment, the commandments that God has given us to live our life faithfully to him. Our scripture today comes from Exodus 20, verse 17. 
and Psalm 16, verses 5 through 11. Our scripture reading for this week is Jay Gomer. And Jay, would you make your way towards the center? And would everyone who is able, please just rise and face the center of the room. We do this just as a constant weekly reminder that scripture is to be central to our lives. And it's to be the primary lens to which we view everything that we do. So Jay, whenever you're ready, my man, go ahead. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Thank you, Jake. And you all be seated, please. Our final commandment of the ten is do not covet. And this commandment is different in nature than most of the others that come before it. Because there's no tangible action that's really attached to it. It's a commandment that focuses on what is happening on the inside rather than uh, what's happening on the out. To covet is to desire or possess something that you do not have. On the surface, it's easy for us to think that the commandment means to desire what isn't ours. But that's not quite what's being said. In the passage, it says not to covet anyone's house, spouse, livestock, servant, or anything else that belonged to them. The commandment is not fully about desiring what we don't have. It's about desiring something that specifically belongs to someone else. Like my desire for my buddy's amazing bat cave. He had it, and I wanted it. It's not just desiring to have a new Corvette. It's wanting the one that belongs to your coworker. It's not just about having a desire to have a newer house. It's desiring and wishing you had your best friend's house. But if we break down the commandment even more, we find that it's telling us we are not to desire something we are prohibited from having. We are not to desire something that God did not intend to be ours. What we find at the core of coveting is discontentment with what God has given us. When we covet, we live into a self-diagnosis that what we have isn't enough. And we communicate that we are dissatisfied with all that God has given us. If you look at everything that has happened and is happening in your life, do you find yourself wishing you had more? Wishing you had 
what others had. In giving us this commandment to not covet, God is calling us to have a heart of contentment. As we look at our secondary passage in Psalm 16, the psalmist David paints a great picture of what it looks like to live into a life of contentment rather than that self-diagnosis of discontent. Verses five and six of the psalm says, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. David says that the Lord alone is his portion, his cup. And having a heart of contentment means that we must trust God as our portion. And what David means by saying this is that God is the source of his happiness, blessing. He's the source of his fulfillment. He trusts in and is content with all that the Lord has put in his life. To trust God as our portion means the same to us. It means finding happiness and blessing through what God has already given us, whether through the good times or bad. It's finding fulfillment in Him. Instead of focusing on what we don't have or what others have being perceived as making life better, it's about being content with the goodness that God has already placed in our lives. We don't need to fill our cup with riches, glory, friends, success. We don't need to fill him up. We don't need to fill ourselves up with the right scholarship, the right job offer. Those are good things. But nothing is as valuable as what God can offer us. He offers us unconditional love, mercy, forgiveness, wisdom, joy, peace, and hope. These are all things that transcend our circumstances, things that last longer than just the moment. We are to make the Lord alone our portion. Now, this doesn't mean that we can't get new or nice things or work hard to provide a better life for our family, but we should ask ourselves when we do so if we're allowing for those things to become the source of our fulfillment. Is that defining what makes us happy? It's holiday season, so that means uh, my eggnog lattes are back in full effect. I do love me some of those. Uh, when we compare what we, are, what we allow to make our portion to an eggnog latte, or insert your favorite holiday drink, okay? Is God the delicious, warm drink that fills our soul? Or do we treat him like the cinnamon or whipped cream on top? He adds to the flavor, but he's not what fills our cup. I think we easily find our fulfillment in our jobs, maybe in our romantic relationships, owning the latest tech, or our financial success. And we treat God like a garnish, something to sprinkle on top for fulfillment. What are we allowing to be our portion today? What are the sources of our happiness and fulfillment? In verse 5 and 6, David also talks about his lot being secure 
and that his boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. He's communicating that he finds security in what God has given him. And he recognizes that God is good and he always provides. Now, it's easy for us to read this maybe and think, of course, David is content with what God has given him. He's a king. He's got all these great things. But when David wrote this, he was still a shepherd. He was nobody. He was the eighth son of an average shepherd family. He didn't necessarily have an abundance of provision. He didn't have a trust fund waiting for him. He wasn't even lined up to be the heir to receive his father's land let alone the different livestock that that was supposed to be given. He didn't have any of that either. So the fact that he was secure in the lot he was given and felt that his boundary lines had fallen in pleasant places takes on a greater meaning. He was content with and trusted what God was going to provide regardless of the circumstances. Similar to David, I think it can be easy for us to sometimes feel like we're the eighth son of a farmer. We're the eighth son of a shepherd. It can feel like maybe we drew the short straw. Our circumstances are maybe rough, not fair. And sometimes it's even because of nothing that we did. It just isn't fair. But how can we emulate David's content heart in that circumstance? He finds himself in a state of contentment because he trusts in God's provision. He trusts in it rather than longing for God to give him more. When we begin to covet what we don't have, we express a lack of trust in what God has given. And instead of feeling contentment, we feel unsettled and dissatisfied. We long for more in our lives, thinking uh, we have a better idea of what we need than God does. And we start living into that self-diagnosis we've been talking about. Coveting shifts the focus of our heart from gratitude for what God has given us to grumbling over what we don't have. I think the perfect example of this is Black Friday. Right? The day after we give gratitude to God for all that he's given us, what do we do? We rip each other's throats out to get the best present. And if we don't get it, we're upset about it because we deserve to have that because that's going to make our life better. We can grow in our trust in God's provision by putting our focus on living a life of gratitude for what he's provided. We can do this through treating God and others with generosity and through being good stewards with what he has given us. I think a counter to Black Friday is the Christmas assistant shopping. You have the opportunity to express your gratitude for what God has given you by blessing another family, being faithful stewards with what he's given you. When we shift our focus from what we don't have to paying attention to all that God has given us, it'll help us see his faithfulness and greater trust his provision into the future. We combat our sinful nature to covet through a continued pursuit of contentment. We trust God as our portion. We trust him to provide. But we also trust in God's promises. We trust in God's promises. David would express trust in his promises at the end of verse six when he would say, surely 
I have a delightful inheritance. David here displays not only trust, but a confidence that God will follow through on everything he's ever told him he would receive. The world around us makes a lot of false promises. False promises that can deceive us into thinking we need more than what God has to offer. Let's take a look at the Super Bowl for example. How many of us tune in just for the commercials? Kind of fun? Maybe not as good as they used to be. That's okay. The U.S. advertising industry is forecasted to make more than $350 billion off of the Super Bowl this year. This is money made to try to sell us things that are supposed to make our lives better, supposed to give us greater fulfillment, to make us happier. They're false promises of contentment. When we choose to buy into these false promises the world gives us, we can be led down a road of coveting what we don't have. Many of these promises are lies. And all of them are temporary. But God's promises are eternal. Just as God promised David a delightful inheritance, so too are we promised one. In verse 9 through 11, David would point us towards God's promise for us. It says, therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Our hearts can rejoice and be glad because the faithful one, Jesus, died on the cross and rose from the grave. His sacrificial act would make a pathway for us to have eternal life in the presence of God. What waits for us beyond this world is greater than anything we're experiencing right now. We can live contently because of the great promise that lies before us for an eternity. Because the gospel is real and the gospel changes everything, the faithful one did not see decay. He has made known to us the path of life. And because of what he did, we are filled with eternal pleasures in the presence of God one day. What more could we want? We don't need to covet anything in this world. We don't need to be bound by the wants and desires that bombard us on a daily basis. We can be content. Be content with knowing that we have our sights set on something higher. Better days yet to come. Spending an eternity with God in heaven. We live into our calling to be content with what God has given us when we trust God as our portion. Trust him for provision. And we trust in his promises. The contentment that we experience when we do this should move us to respond in a similar manner than that of David here in verses seven and eight. When he says, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. 
with him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. David's contentment would compel him to a heart of praise. What are we compelled to? David's response was to praise the Lord for all he had given. But he wouldn't just do it with what he said. His praise would be declared through his thoughts and through his conduct. He would praise God by living a life where he would always keep his eyes directly on the Lord. Where he'd keep him by his side. Where he would rely on him for strength. We can give God praise not just by declaring how great he is once a week through a few songs but through the way that we faithfully follow him. When we trust God as our portion, when we trust in his provision, and when we trust in in his promises, our contentment should bring us to a place where all we can do is fall down to our knees with a heart of worship and praise. But so often that's not where it brings us, is it? So often we still pursue the more the thing we don't have. That is why we are commanded to not covet our neighbor's house, spouse, livestock, servant, or anything else, but are called instead to live contently with what God has given us. Many of you might remember that we started off our series talking about that there is no other God before the one true God. And the title of this sermon was The Heart of the Matter. It's interesting that God, with his commandments, would start with the heart and finish with it. There must be something to the heart when it comes to the commandments. Because Jesus would also speak on the matter a number of times. Matthew 15, 19 says this, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. Any of those things sound familiar over the last few weeks? Jesus would directly reference the majority of the commandments and say that the source of those issues was a matter of of the heart. The commandments are framed to remind us that it's not just about the laws that we are to follow, but the heart behind them. This is why Jesus made such a big deal about it. For us as followers of Jesus, the commandments are not just rules to live by, but vital signs for the health of our heart's devotion for the one true king. As we head into this holiday season where we reflect gratitude, where we reflect on the birth of our savior, there might be wisdom in having a health check. How healthy is your walk with the Lord right now? How healthy is your devotion to him? Are you letting the desires of this world get you? Let's pray. Lord, we love you so much. And we thank you. We bless you, Lord, 
for all that you've given us. God, help us to be content with all that that we have. And Lord, help that compel us to a place of praise. Allow for us to be good stewards and generous with what you've given us. And to maybe spend a little bit of time today or this week reflecting on the health of our walk with you. We love you, God, and we thank you for the gospel and what it means for our eternity, how it changes our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, let's close with this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be gracious to you and make his face shine towards you and give you peace. And all God's people said, amen. Have a great week, everybody.